Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Wednesday, August 25th, rapidly approaching the open to the Virginia Tech football season. Nine days away, we are in week zero, and that means one thing. There are no more weekends without college football until the middle of January, which is great. Um, but before we get into all that, Tim, what's going on? Trying to pick paint colors, man. And l- let me tell you, that is, uh, that's difficult. Um, we're trying to go with a nice off-white, and there are way more choices than there should be for trying to pick off-white. Um, so you're talking interior. Yeah, interior yeah. paint, the whole, whatever we're going to go with on all of the walls. And it's a big decision. Um, but man, there are it many is. shades of off-white in feigning, uh, intense interest in such a menial task has been difficult, but I think we've settled on one maybe, but well, that's been my I last mean, Tim, maybe four hours. Uh, Tim buried the lead here. So they, uh, he just got a uh, offer approved on a new house. So congratulations, Tim. Well done. I appreciate well done. that. I appreciate it's that. A, It'll be nice to be uh, a homeowner a- again. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, and then it, it definitely is right now because the prices of houses are oh, going gosh. through the roof. The market right now is uh, insane. It is a seller's market for sure. Unless you have to turn around and buy something, then um, I don't know what you do. But yeah, I think um, we were in the same dilemma. And, I mean, you start looking at white, and you're like, white's white, right? Right. But it's well, not. It's not. It's not. There are so many different shades of white, but we landed on this nice kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of like an antique finish white. So it's not like if you go just straight up white, it looks like you're in like an insane asylum. Oh my God. Yeah. It's sterile. Yeah. Nobody wants that. You don't want it to trim sterile. the same it's color as your walls. You feel like, you feel like a, a hospital. Right. Um, right. But you gotta, you gotta take that kind of like sheen off the walls and kind of do this flat we got you know the wipeable paint walls so you got kids and they're putting their hands everywhere and doing whatever they're doing so Ooh, that was kind of the to, biggest uh, deal for link us. me whatever wipeable technology you got in your paint because i have a feeling we're going to need that yeah wipeable yeah, paint so. tech and l- let me tell you another thing i realize is whoever has the job of naming paints is just living the freaking dream man well, it's it's frustrating to me actually because you'll have the same exact shade, but this this shade over here, it looks the exact same as like let's say a Home Depot bare kind of paint. Right. Sherwin Williams paint, completely different name. One will be like polar ice caps, and the other will be, you know, Snow White Seven Dwarfs. And you're like, well, <laughs> is that the same color? No. Am the, I, the names are the best. Are my eyes man. doing tricks on me? I mean, some of the ones we looked at was cream in my coffee, polar star, um, ghost pine, warm putty. Like, I just, I want this job. I'm upset that somebody has this job and that person isn't me. Like, I would love to just look at a color, get a vibe, and then come come up with the most off-the-wall name possible for that paint. I mean, I love it. The one worst I think we're settling on. It's borderline like minor league baseball team fun to go through. Right, it is. It is. I mean, the one we're settling on, Comet Dust. How cool. 
comet. So dust. it's that's that to me would be like a gray. Like it a is. Nice, it, like it's a it's a white. Gray. It is very very light gray. You can almost you look at it. You wouldn't tell it was gray until you put it up next to something that is actually white white, and then you're like, oh yeah, that isn't white. So yeah. Um, yeah. Warm fog, gilded linen, quail egg. I love this the coconut milk. Man, I could just keep going. Whoever's doing yeah. this job is just knocking it out of the park. It's like uh, people that have the job of writing Hallmark cards. You right. know, it, it feels like it's just the same. I'm pretty sure I bought my wife the same birthday card three years in a row. I realized <laughs> it took you got, me. Your taste is consistent. <laughs> I, I didn't catch it the first time around. And then she was reading it, or I, I was reading it one time, and I'd already purchased it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've been here before. So, um, and then I, I did a little digging, and it was indeed the same exact birthday card three years in a row. So, um, <laughs> I mean, what can you do? I mean, the Nothing. card writing people, I, I feel like the, the price that you pay for cards and the price that you pay for paint, those people are making way too much money. Oh, so. absolutely, they are. Absolutely. Well, let's get into it, Tim. I mean, Let's do it. I personally think you need to go over to Lowe's and get yourself some maroon and orange uh, paint for your for your new cave or your man den or whatever you want to call it. Uh, podcasting studio. Homey cream. December Homey cream. starlight. Cool December. But we're talking coastal football today. So, uh, so this isn't a paint color podcast. No, it's not. But I mean, I I like where we were going with that. Um, I mean, we could do like a paint color podcast for like all of college football. I'm in, I'm going to try to work in as many paint colors as I can to this podcast without telling anyone. And so anyone that can add up the amount of paint color colors that I throw into this podcast, will get a hat, you know, final paint color story of a, uh, an award-winning listener of our show, uh, Mr. Daniel Walton. One of my buddies from college and all the way back in the days in high school, his man area, man, man cave, area. man okay, area. Okay, good man cave. Sorry, I wasn't sure. Not, you were I'm not going talking with about that. Daniel's man area. I mean, I was going to say it's not that kind of podcast. Is half and half Virginia Tech maroon with an orange and white stripe, I believe, and then the other half is Washington. Almost got myself into trouble there. The Washington football team. Like, I guess it's, how would you classify that color? Like a off maroon? I, don't I was going to say kind of maroonish. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a December maroon. With like the, the yellow? Yeah. So it's, it, it, you think to yourself, it's like, I don't know if this works, but it does. <laughs> In it my does. head, I have no idea how he's pulling it off, but I'm sure it does. Yeah. The size of the room helps too. It's a good size room. So if it was like uh, two and like four really small walls, I don't think it would work. So, well, my but man yeah, area I mean, let's get is into probably going to be comet dust. For the record, I, I mean, I like it. I like the I like the way that feels. I like the way it gives you kind of like a floating effect, uh, similar yeah. to how I'm going to feel when Virginia Tech wins the coastal. So, <laughs> oh boy, not touching um, that with a ten foot pole. Yeah, no, why not? Right, you gotta have you gotta have positivity this time of year. But the ACC Coastal, one of the more unpredictable divisions in all of college football. And we've got, um, honestly, I expect kind of more of the same this year. 
And I mean, if you look at the preseason media poll, North Carolina sits the top. Miami uh, was second. I wouldn't say a close second. They got 28 first place votes compared to 109 out of North Carolina. Virginia Tech finds himself in third, Pitt fourth, UVA fifth. And Virginia Tech, Pitt, and UVA all very kind of close to each other. And then Georgia Tech and Duke round out uh, the bottom bottom two in the division there. So it's going to be an interesting football season. I mean, honestly, like, you've just got a bunch of teams in this division that they can win every week. Um, if you take Georgia Tech and Duke out of that equation, any of the other five can win every week a conference game. And I think that's what makes the Coastal so unpredictable is because there isn't a team typically that is so far and above and beyond anybody else. And there's just it's just been the definition of mediocrity um, and entertainment if you can uh, kind of get past some of the woes. But this division is definitely there for the taking. And why don't we, uh, why don't we go in order as we did with the Atlantic? And we'll talk about North Carolina first. So I'm going to start with a quote. I like to start with quotes, if you've noticed, over the our preseason content here. I tell them exactly what I think about them every day. If we have a good practice that isn't great, I say, this is an eight-win practice. If that's what you want, that's fine. You are who you are. You are who you practice as or how you play. These are facts. Mac Brown. Good quote. Just kind of it, very Mac Brownie, right? Very politician-y, um, especially once you get towards the end there. But, I mean, I, I like the mentality of it, right? So I think North Carolina is a team that uh, definitely has some expectations now. They're coming off an 8-4 and four season. They're obviously recruiting at a very high level. Um, some of the best classes in the conference over the last few seasons. They've got Sam Howell, who is a Heisman hopeful. Um, and I mean, by the way, you think he's happy he like spurned FSU at the last second? Can you imagine how different Sam Howell's college experience would have been if he had gone to Florida State instead of North Carolina? It would I mean, have been he's a lot just different. gotta be just thinking his lucky stars. That would have been a, that would have been a tough <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, we never would have known what actually is reality today, but. It's hard to imagine him going to Florida State knowing what we know today and how that program has just completely shifted gears. Uh, he obviously broke Trevor Lawrence's ACC record for most uh, touchdowns through his sophomore season, so that's 68. But the big thing with Carolina this season on offense is they lost a lot of their skill position playmakers. And I do feel that's being overlooked quite a bit. I think right now they sit at 9 or 10 in the uh, preseason AP poll, which is fine. I'd say top 15 is reasonable for um, the expectation and some of their returning uh, talent they have and at the level that they've recruited. But my big concern with them offensively, you know, I like Sam Howell. I think he's a good quarterback. But really the best part of their offense last season, Tim, was the rushing attack. So Michael Carter and Javante Williams, who are now both in the NFL, both went in the first two rounds of the NFL draft and both are pushing for a starting job. So those two guys could play. They averaged over nine yards a carry 
last season. So that is huge production to be missing out of the backfield. I don't care if you've recruited at a high level or not. There is no guarantee those recruits turn into stud, you know, first and second day NFL draft picks, which is what they had, and they had two of them. And on top of that, they also lost their best receivers, uh, Diami Brown and Daz Newsom. So those guys are also both in the NFL. So, I mean, those are those are kind of four big question marks as to how they will fill that in. But, I mean, Tim, what's, what's your initial thought on the UNC offense when you take a look at them? So, it, it's interesting. Obviously, Howell is a good quarterback. But when you go back and look at what he had on the edge as far as Brown and Daz Newsome, and then what he had in the backfield and Javante Williams um, and then Carter, th- that's a lot to replace. And when you have a rushing attack as good as they had last year, it really opens up the downfield passing game. And that is such a good recipe for success to pair with a guy like Sam Howell, who does throw a great deep ball. He had options that could really stretch the field. Um, And they're gone for the most part. Now, can you replace that? Sure. But you're, you're talking about a team here that doesn't have the best offensive line in the world. Um, along with you know losing such talent on the edge, such dynamic playmakers, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like such a layup to sit sit here and talk about how good Sam Howell's going to be, and and all the Heisman talk I think that surrounded him. And I, I don't know. I, I, we might be seeing regression from Sam Howell this year just because of what he's lost. And so when I look at UNC, I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing an offense that's going to live up to some of the expectations I've seen swirling around. And, and, you know, I don't think that's necessarily Sam Howell's fault, but I think there's not enough people kind of looking into that and seeing that because I do think that is going to be an issue. Yeah. I mean, I kind of thought just, you know, I haven't looked at the numbers side by side or anything, but from the eye test, I thought Sam Howell had a better freshman year than he did sophomore year. And I don't know if there were certain uh, external factors that played into that, but I just thought overall he was more consistent in his first year in Chapel Hill. So, I mean, I, nothing against the way he played last year. Like, he's still a very good quarterback. But, I mean, he is the guy this year. There's no doubt. So, I mean, if you if you do look at running back, they do get some help in from Tennessee. Obviously, Tennessee hasn't been a world beater over the last, I don't know, 20 years. But you add a uh, transfer from um, the Vols, Ty Chandler, who, you know, he, he's going to need to run for a pretty healthy amount of yards to give them any kind of semblance of the offense that they had last season. Now, he does have over 2,000 yards in four seasons. Uh, he had 456 yards and four touchdowns last season and then added 16 catches through the air for just over 100 yards. So, you know, I, I think he's a nice uh, add on the trail for a team that doesn't typically bring in a ton of uh, grad transfers. Um, so we'll see what they do there. I think a wide receiver, Tim, you know, they're going to be able to rely on that cupboard. I mean, if you look at uh, Bo Corrales, Josh Downs, they're going to be the two featured receivers. Corrales is a guy who he's kind of dealt with some injury issues, but, man, when he's been healthy, he is, he's shown some flashes. So I think... I really look for him to step up and have a big season if he can stay healthy. Um, and Downs is another guy who's got a ton of hype as well. Both are very talented. And then behind these guys, 
Uh, they've just got a, a slew of younger, talented guys. So it's just a matter of who's going to step up and who's going to be the go-to. But we don't know how deep this group will be until we see them on the football field. Well, the other then, issue is losing the, the two field stretchers that you had in Diami Brown and Daz Newsome. I mean, Bo Corrales right. is great, but Bo Corrales typically operates in the slot. He's a great guy over the middle. Um, but you didn't see a lot of field stretching coming from Bo Corrales. Um, Downs, I think obviously there's a lot of hype there and certainly was a highly recruited guy. But the key to their offense was you know dominating the running game, which their offensive line is great at doing, not so much in pass coverage. Uh, but when they were doing, you know, when UNC was running at their best, they were, you know, dominating on the run and then hitting you over top for deep balls. And like I said, that's where Sam typically excels, but that that's where my concern is when you lose the guys that can really spread the field and stretch it, um, somebody's going to have to step up and they, they can certainly do that, but it's just a matter of finding out who those guys are and, and are they able to capitalize and keep the offense rolling without the same threat in the backfield that they had, um, you know, with Javante Williams. And I don't think Michael Carter gets the shine he deserves too because everybody seems to talk about losing Javante. But don't forget, that was a two-headed monster back there. And without that same threat in the backfield, defenses are going to key on that offense much differently. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, one of the, I guess, pros of what they've got coming back on offense, they've got Garrett Wilson returning at tight end. He's kind of like the Jason Witten security blanket type for this offense. And then they also return the entire offensive line. So that should be kind of an added plus. And it's really, it just comes down to those skill position players for uh, Sam Howell and the rest of the offense to really see kind of how far uh, this offense can take them. If we jump over to the defensive side of the ball, they should have a pretty solid defensive line. Their their biggest loss that they're replacing is uh, Chas Surratt at linebacker. So, I mean, he's obviously a, a very talented player. He's now in the NFL as well. Uh, but they'll have Jeremiah uh, Gimmel, who should step in, fill that role. Very experienced at seven, 78 tackles last year with two picks. Uh, you've also got Timon Fox, who is another good option at linebacker. So, you know... You lose Surratt, but you've got two guys who can step in and really try and fill that void. I think the if you look at their defense overall, I mean their secondary. I mean their secondary is pretty stacked. I mean they've got four guys in the mix who can really be the starters. My money is probably going to be Storm Duck on one side, greatest name in college football right now, and then Tony Grimes on the other side. And so Tony Grimes has been getting a lot of hype uh, this offseason just for, you know, what he looks like. If you remember, um, obviously a seven five seven uh player, uh, enrolled early last year. I mean, he really should have been his senior year in high school last year, and he was playing college football. So um, young guy, but he uh, is starting to look more the part of a, uh, you know, FBS level power, uh, power five cornerback. So... We can see what happens there, and then, you know, some of the other guys in the mix, you've got Kyler McMichael, uh, Ladeson, um, DeAndre Hollins, and, I mean, it, it's just going to be about kind of next guy up. I think all these guys are going to play a lot, um, and I, I suspect North Carolina is going to be very difficult uh, to move the ball against through the air. Yeah, they are. I mean, their corners are as smooth as coconut cream. And when you look at the tackling hole that's left by uh, Surratt, which is obviously large, 
um, 90 plus tackles last year. They've got some good guys in the linebacking core. Eugene Asante, uh, one of them, looked pretty good, but he's a guy that maybe is is on the smaller side for a linebacker. So, you know, that's something that hopefully they'll have rectified in the off season as far as putting on weight goes. And, you know, one thing that I guess if you're UNC, what you want to see is more playmaking from that secondary. I don't think any player had more than one or two picks, if that, last year. And that's not good enough production um, from a playmaking standpoint, especially when you have a secondary as talented as they are. Um, so if you look for room for improvement for UNC, it's, it's going to be in that playmaking. Because, I mean, they melted down a few times last year. Uh, they weren't as good as they should have been in a lot of games. And I think improvement would be felt if they could just turn the ball over at a higher clip. Um, and they certainly have the horses to go out there and do that. Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, Storm Duck, great name, also a really good player. Uh, Tony Grimes, who I know the Hokies are still kind of frustrated with not being in maroon and orange. Um, a lot of good players. It, it's just a matter of putting the pieces together and making the plays when the opportunity arises. So if we look at their schedule, uh, you know, out of conference schedule, there's it's really kind of saved by Notre Dame and Wake Forest. So they've got the weird out of conference game against Wake Forest since they'd never play each other in conference for whatever reason. Um, and I think Wake will be solid this year, but I think uh, overall UNC has a good shot to go four and zero. I think worst case scenario they're two and two out of conference, and that really would be worst case. That means losing to Notre Dame and Wake. Um, they've got Georgia State and Wofford as the other two. And then if you look at their um, home slate, they or their away slate, they've got uh, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Pitt, and NC State, and then UVA, Duke, FSU, and Miami. Um, so, I mean, it's an interesting schedule. Um, it's very kind of, I, I, I like the NC state matchup. I like the, uh, I mean, as far as their, uh, Atlantic foe, I mean, I think that's going to be a great football game. Um, I think, you know, I, I made the comment in the Atlantic preview, Tim, that I thought NC state was the best team in North Carolina. And I still think that. I think North Carolina is probably the more talented team. Um, But we'll see how that plays out, right? Because, I mean, we saw this at Texas with Mack Brown. Always recruited at a high level. Was playing in the Big 12. You know, there was obviously some stiffer competition back in the day. But only kind of got through to that national championship one time. And there was a lot of times where you go 9-3 and or 10-2 and and you've got a top 5, top 10 recruiting class on a consistent basis. And, I mean, if we're putting everything into perspective, I think for North Carolina, that's a fantastic season based on the history of North Carolina football. Now, I don't know what the expectation is in Carolina. I don't know if the expectation is ACC championship or bust. They clearly got a really good shot to win the Coastal. Uh, The over or under is 9.5. I think I'm at 9 wins. I just have a feeling that North Carolina is going to have three wins or three losses or more. Um, just because it's a football team that it's got a lot of pressure on them. They're not used to that in Chapel Hill. You've got the coastal that's going to do coastal things. And there's some pretty interesting matchups in there that could potentially catch them off guard. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Vegas obviously nailed it with the line, in my opinion, there. Um, as far as the over-under, I'm definitely taking the under. I, I see a 9-3 and three team if I had to guess, but if I, eight and 8-4 wouldn't necessarily shock me. Um I, I don't see them getting to double-digit wins in the regular season. Um, but, you know, 
expectations where they are, that would probably be slightly disappointing. Um, you know, but as far as you looking at the history of, of the UNC football program and where they've come from, I, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, th- there are, there are a lot of questions to answer with UNC. And, and I think those questions are kind of what's holding me back here. I think Howell will have a great year. Um, I don't think he's going to have a Heisman level year, but you know, we'll see. But yeah, I got him at nine and three for sure. Yeah. I think North Carolina conference wise, you want them early. And so if you look at Virginia tech, you look at UVA who both play them in the first two, three weeks of the season, Virginia tech obviously opens the season with Carolina. Um, I mean, that's when you want them because they're going to be trying to figure things out on the offensive side of the football um, and you'd have to imagine as the season wears on, guys get more experience under their belt, uh, they get more familiar in the system, they get that game action. I suspect that they're going to be a tougher out towards the latter part of the season compared to the the early part. So if you're a Virginia Tech fan, if you're a fan of UVA or you know any other school that's playing them early, you want North Carolina early this season. So that's, uh, I think, one pro that the Hokies have when they're going against Carolina and then potentially competing for that Coastal Division. If we jump over to Miami, the U, the big question that's going to be answered in 2021, I feel like I say this every single year with Miami, is Miami turning the corner? <laughs> and what do I mean by that? So they went 8-3 and three last season. But they had some humiliating moments along the way. Really, since Manny Diaz has come to town, they have had some embarrassing moments. They did win seven ACC games. And remember, there was no Coastal Atlantic division last year. It was just kind of a tiered model or just one, you know, whatever you want to call that. They spent the entire season ranked in the AP poll for the first time since 2009. And as I mentioned, the Manny Diaz era has been unbalanced, chemically imbalanced, if you will. He's done an even better job, though, at bringing in talent out of the transfer portal than I think that he's done on the actual recruiting trail. Um, They have hit the portal hard, and they've brought in some big names, none bigger than De'Eric King. And the biggest thing with De'Eric King is he small in stature, but uh, he is basically dynamite at the quarterback position because he can break it open at any moment. And he's finally brought stability to the Miami quarterback position, which is something that, for whatever reason, we really haven't been able to say about Miami since Ken Dorsey was there going way back in the day, right? It's almost, right. what, that's 16, 18 years ago? long time and I mean it's just been kind of a revolving door around this quarterback position of inconsistent play or highly touted guys like I think of a guy like you know Kyle Wright back in the day who was just a complete bust um but Derek King the biggest question around him is is he healthy so obviously he's coming off that torn ACL I think a lot of people thought he would go pro and didn't and I don't Honestly, like looking at him, I'm not sure he's an NFL caliber quarterback. But if he is playing at a high level, Miami, again, they have a chance to win every game 
except for the first one that they play, which is against Alabama. But uh, I really like Derek King. I really like this Miami team on paper. Um, and I typically like how Miami teams look on paper. But I like this team a little bit more than I've liked Miami over the last couple of seasons. Because I thought Diaz had an interesting, interesting comment to where he was basically like he's finally got guys buying into the program, opting to come back for an extra year, because everybody got the extra year, as we're all familiar with, and putting the team first instead of putting themselves first, essentially alluding to guys have previously opted to go to Miami because they felt like that was an easy path to the NFL, and it's just been a very non-team-centric kind of mentality. So I think that's interest, that was an interesting thing to hear a head coach say about basically what's happened under his watch and where he thinks it's going now. Um, and I think if you bring in a guy to the caliber of player that a Derek King is and you do see him opt back in for an additional year where he's really, I don't, I don't know how he would up his stock any more than he did last season. Um, I, I think Diaz is somewhat pointing to him as we've got a leader on this football team. We've got guys who have bought into the culture that I'm trying to build. And we've got guys that are here and they want to win here. They're not worried about what's going to come after. So that was kind of my take on the Diaz quote and the Miami kind of situation that they're in now. I think they've started to take the steps. But for me, Tim, it's about can they get rid of these embarrassing moments? You know, can they play more disciplined on the on the football field? Can they stop getting blown out by teams that have no business blowing them out? You know, so that's that's kind of the biggest question mark for Miami, and I still expect them to have a hiccup or two throughout the season because I just don't trust them. Yeah, that that uh, lack of trust is well earned in Miami's case. You know, for me, the biggest key and one of the the biggest improvements they made was going to a spread offense. You know, with Rhett Lashley moving on from a pro style with Dan Enos. And it just never fit with with Dan and and what he was trying to do. But, you know, they look great. And and Rhett Lashley is obviously a great offensive coordinator. But Derek King fits that offense so well as a spread quarterback with his ability to make plays on the ground. Um, And he's one of those guys that just knows when to tuck and run. Um, There was a portion of his season early where I felt like he may be running too much. And I think as the season went on, you saw him trust that arm more and more. And... I just think it's a perfect quarterback fit for what Miami's trying to do. And we talk about, you know, we mentioned Heisman with Howell. I think there's a, a decent shout if he does heal healthy for a Heisman chance here because Derek King is one of those guys that could put up a 4,000-yard passing, 3,500-yard passing season with 1,000 yards on the ground. Um, he has that kind of ability, and I think he's got the right offensive coordinator in place to really take advantage of that. Um you know, I think they were around the top 25 in total offense, and, and that was a huge jump for them. Um, you know, and, and seeing that fit, their offense finally just looked like a fit, and I know that was one of the things Manny Diaz had been trying to get right. Uh, and, and I think they've got the right scheme. You know, obviously they're going to need to look for, you know, some playmakers, and that's important too. But, you know, when you have Derek King, he's one of those guys, and you mentioned it, Miami's one of those teams that can beat anyone on their schedule. But Miami, being Miami, could also lose to anyone on their schedule. And are they going to shake that um, and be able to play at a consistent level? I, I think they can. Uh, you know, I'm a little higher on Miami right now than I am UNC, and it's not by much. 
Um, but I just, I love De'Ara King. I love what he brings to the game. And if you were going to make a college quarterback in a test tube, uh, you know, the De'Ara King is the kind of guy that you would want, that dynamic playmaker that can throw on the run, that can stretch the field with his legs. Um, really just a hard quarterback to game plan around. Yeah, he is. And I mean, he's he's a guy who had 538 yards rushing last year on 130 carries, four touchdowns on the ground. It sounds like he's going to be ready for the Alabama opener. And the Alabama game is, you know, basically people are like, well, if Miami can just keep it close, we, we feel like they'll be back. And that's such a weird perspective to have for a school like Miami. You know, if you just think about what Miami has been historically. Well, if they can just keep it close their back. And I don't think Alabama is the world beater that we've seen over the last five years. I I still think they're probably going to be in the college football playoff. I just don't think they're going to be as unbeatable this year as they have been previously. Same for Clemson. Um, I think if you're going to knock off Alabama, this could be the year to do it. Um, I still don't think Miami's going to do it. Um, I think they can do it. I think Miami can beat Alabama if Miami has a really good day and Alabama doesn't. But when it comes down to it, I'm never going to pick Manny Diaz to beat a Nick Saban football team. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, Um, it's a ludicrous proposition at its face. But if you're going to beat Alabama and you want the best shot to do it, the first game of the season is is about as good of a shout as you're going to have. And I'm like you. I don't think it's going to happen. But I'm not I'm not writing that game off as a foregone conclusion either. I mean, not when you have a potential Heisman candidate on the other side of the field throwing the football. Yeah. And, I mean, if you recall last year, the big issue with the Miami offense was the running game. They couldn't run the football. Uh, you know, it sounds like Cameron Harris is going to be the guy this year. Um, I think their big issue last year was something that we've seen with Virginia Tech historically where – you don't just have like one guy you're relying on. You've got this kind of like running back committee kind of approach. And you just typically see that not work consistently when you've got a different guy in there every other drive or something like that. But it's something that Lashley has said that they're looking to stick with one guy this year. I'd have to imagine that guy is Cameron Kelly. There's going to be a couple of other guys in the mix behind him, but you know they had the 73rd rated rush offense last season, and that was only that high because – you had De'Ara King at quarterback. Uh, they do have some talent at receiver. They got the transfer in from Oklahoma, Charleston Rambo. You know, Mike Harley has been a solid player, uh, has struggled with consistency at times. Will Mallory back at tight end, and, you know, they've got a you know a couple of the younger guys who are pushing up the ranks, but it should be a pretty solid group. Um, again, it's De'Ara King at quarterback, so he can make that group much better. And the big question mark, you know, in addition to the woes of the run game, part of that's been offensive line play. It has been improved since 2019. Uh, They are returning eight offensive linemen. They only allowed 11 sacks and 63 pressures last season, which was eighth best in the FBS. So that's a huge improvement over what this group was in 2019. So that's something to be promising. I mean, I think to me, Tim, uh, I'd, I'd only expect this Miami offense to be better than they were last year. I don't expect them to take a step back because you've got Derek King back there. You've got him in a full, somewhat of a full offseason because he's been battling the injury. But he's now been in Miami now for two years. Looks like he's ready to go. You're going to have a more focused uh, approach to the running game. 
and you've got an offensive line who was much improved last season. They've got a pretty strong core returning. I'd suspect that the Miami offense will be a more consistent play this season than they were in 2020. Yeah, and don't forget the biggest piece of that. I think a lot of issues we saw across college football last year were due to coaching changes and scheme installs. Miami was yep. doing a total change from the way Dan Enos had done things with Rhett Lashley. Now Rhett Lashley gets a full offseason uh, contact with his players and ability to install an offense the way he wants to do it. And, you know, in such a shortened season and a shortened offseason last year, that makes that sort of total conversion to a different scheme difficult. Um, but I think being, you know, the comfort level with this offense should be a, a lot higher. And, and I, like you, definitely expect to see a couple more steps forward from that unit. Yeah, no, I mean, that. there's no doubt that's a good call on that one. Uh, Dan Enos, I don't even think he's got a job now, to be honest. He was at Alabama two years ago, spent a year at Miami, got canned, and was so bad, nobody picked him up, basically. Uh, if we look at the defensive side of the ball, Tim, a few holes to fill, a new play caller, uh, Manny Diaz, is going to be calling the plays on defense this season. Uh, you got Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche uh, leaving big holes at defensive end. You've got Greg Russo, who's gone, who's uh, been having his name said uh, on uh, during the preseason with the Buffalo Bills. But uh, they welcome in DeAndre Johnson. Um, they're moving uh, Zach McLeod to end to fill the other void. So um, otherwise there, you've got a lot of younger guys. So... We'll need to watch how that kind of group develops over the season. That could be somewhere they're vulnerable at this year. It was obviously a very strong positional group for them last season. I think the weakest position for them is linebacker. They still have some question marks. It's an area that they didn't bring in a transfer, and they don't really have any guy who's ready to step up into that role to be like the surefire starter. So it's really kind of that front you know, six or seven for Miami that – is going to leave them fairly vulnerable, I'd imagine, in the uh, in the run game and then, of course, any kind of short passes across the middle. Um, I think secondary-wise, they should be okay. You know, they ranked 59th against the pass last year, gave up 20 touchdowns, only had seven picks, struggled to turn the ball over. But, um, you know, it should be solid enough. It's probably the, the most experienced group on the defensive side of the ball. But honestly, this year, if Miami's going to lose games, it's probably going to be because of their defense. And so the offense is going to have to go out, play at a higher level than they've probably been asked to play week in and week out. Because this Miami defense, if we kind of think back to the Mark Richt era, 2017, when they kind of got back on the map a little bit, I mean, this Miami defense was pretty stout. It doesn't scare me this year. It's definitely a team I think you can put points up against. And I think we're going to see Miami in a few more shootouts this season than um, we would traditionally expect with a Miami team. Yeah, I mean, the defense, it's never comforting when the coach has to snatch the play calling uh, from a coordinator. You know it gets real bad when that has to happen. Um, you know, I, I know there's been so many times where Hokie fans have clamored for uh, Fuente to take over the play calling um, from Cornelson, and it was one of those scenarios where that Miami defense looked so bad at times, you know, especially towards the end of the year when I think UNC ran for 800 yards against them. At least it felt like that. Um, I have no idea what the actual stat was, but it was not pretty. I mean, they, they got a good safety in Bubba Bolden. That was one of those embarrassing um, moments. 
yeah, uh, good safety. I think Bubba Bolden's kind of the anchor of the defense. But outside of that, they're replacing a lot on the edge, as you mentioned. Uh, talent that went to the NFL and Roche and Phillips that were legitimate. Um, and, and that's going to be tough to replace. And, and I like Miami a lot this year. Um, because I love their offense, but I am uh, kind of just, you know, in neutral on what should be a pretty milquetoast defense. Um, but that's not to say they, they don't have the talent there that could step up and get the job done, especially if you're holding out hope that Manny Diaz hunched over on the sidelines with his quarterback wristbands on each arm, sweating it up, calling a good game is going to get it done. It might. Um, but there are a lot of concerns here on the uh, on the Miami defense for sure. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's interesting because their their defense to me makes the coastal more interesting um, because I I think they can win any game that they play in the ACC. They don't play Clemson this year, um, but I think they could also lose most of those games as well, uh, especially if you look at teams like. UVA, NC State, Virginia Tech, UNC, Pitt, FSU. I think any of those teams have a really good day, and, oh, they can definitely beat Miami. So Miami offensively is going to have to be on their game. When they go up against a stronger defense, that to me is when the red flag goes up as to are they going to be able to slow down the opposing offense enough, and that's really going to kind of depend on where teams are at um, as they come in during the season. So, I'm kind of unsure on Miami. I mean, if you look at their out-of-conference schedule, they've got the Alabama game at a neutral site, App State, Michigan State, Central Connecticut. So I think they go 3-1 and one out of conference. Their home conference slate is UVA, NC State, Georgia Tech, and Virginia Tech. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty challenging home slate. Yeah, that's um, tough. Yeah, you take Georgia Tech out of it, they'll win that one. But we think, at least. It didn't happen a couple years ago. Um but UVA, NC State, Virginia Tech, I mean, I think two and two would be, you know, good. Not good, but I'd be surprised if they were any worse than two and two. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were three and one or two and two. I mean, it could really go either way. But out of or their away is going to be UNC, which is always a fun matchup with Mac Brown, who fired Manny Diaz at Texas as his DC, and now you've got Manny Diaz, who essentially fired his defensive coordinator to take over. So that's kind of funny. It's always a fun game to watch on the uh, sideline pregame. Then you've got Pitt away. It's always kind of a tough road game. Florida State away and Duke. So to me, Tim, the over under for Miami's nine and a half. I've got Miami in the eight nine win range. Uh, could really go either way for me. I think any less than eight, Diaz is definitely gone. And I think any more than nine, D.R. King probably wins the Heisman. Yeah, I mean, this whole season is going to come down to the health of D.R. King. I mean, he's by far and away the most important player to any team in the ACC. Um, He goes down, that suspect defense really becomes an issue. Assuming he's healthy all season, I like him at nine and three. You know, with a chance to have a cool December going into the bowl game and get a get a double digit win um, total for the season. But for me, if we're talking nine and a half, which I actually think I'd put him down at eight and a half if I was Vegas, even though I do like them better than UNC. I think just on paper they're a little bit tougher sell uh, than UNC is. I'm putting a lot of stock in Manny Diaz's ability to to be a band aid that the defense needs. Um, but nine and three is, is where I like the Hurricanes, no doubt. 
Yeah, I think looking at it for me, I'm really in that eight and four range because I think they'll lose to Alabama. I think they'll lose to NC State. And I think they'll lose to North Carolina. And then I think they're going to lose one more. And so whoever that is, you know, whether it's uh, UVA or Virginia Tech or Pitt, um, could be FSU, who knows how that game will go. I think there's probably one more in there that you kind of get them, you catch them by surprise a little bit. But we'll see what happens. That's why they play the games. Let's move on to Virginia Tech. So we're not going to talk about the Hokies too much because we've uh, we've done some work on them and we'll do a full uh, kind of season preview along with the North Carolina preview next week, which makes me so happy to say because that means college football is next week. But we did talk at length about the Hokies. So if you haven't checked it out, we've got the offseason recap. We've got the positional reviews, offensive episode, defensive episode, um, where we kind of break down each positional group. Some things have changed since then, um, some for the worse, some for the better. Um, but you'll get the gist of it. But just to recap, high level, the Hokies, biggest thing they need to do is identify what their identity is on offense. Braxton Burmeister is the really big question mark. Is he going to be the guy that we saw in the last two games of the season? Is he going to be the guy who battled injuries? Can he hold up as a passer? These are all questions that we're going to have to see as the season plays out. I think the one thing to consider that I think is a plus for the Hokies, this is now year three in Blacksburg for Burmeister. He had to sit out the year uh, where he initially transferred, and then last year he was playing a little bit, and now this year he's had a full spring and mostly a normal offseason to kind of get ready for the year. And he's a guy who you can go and cherry-pick some of the stats and say, well, you know, he hasn't really lived up to the hype, but he's never really been the guy. And this year, he's the guy. So, it's a fresh start for him. We'll see what he's got. He's got all of the skill position of players there to take advantage of. And I think that's the one thing to be super excited about for the Virginia Tech offense is, yeah, it makes you feel a little bit uneasy when you just really don't know what to expect from the quarterback position. But if you look at the receiving core, if you look at the tight end group, if you look at the offensive line, those are three incredibly solid positional groups for the Hokies. And then if you go to running back, obviously it's been talked about how, uh, I guess we could say deep that position is, or at least how uh, much of the roster, uh, you know, takes up. But we've got three guys who should be in the mix that all kind of bring a little bit of a different dynamic in Jalen Holston, Keyshawn King and Raheem Blackshear. So, um, I'm excited to see what this offense can do, Tim. And I, I mean, I know there's questions, but I'm going to put faith in the fact that Burmeister's ready to go. It's really kind of the first time we've seen Fuente give the nod to a quarterback and not have an open competition. And of course, it's not surprising considering the positional group. But I think that should help kind of go into the season with some momentum. Big game to open the season, but it's very important Virginia Tech gets off to a quick start if they're going to compete for the Coastal Division this year. Agreed, and I'll keep it short, um, you know, in the interest of, of doing our preview next week. But you mentioned offensive identity and kind of searching for that. You know, that's something we've been calling for for years um, on this podcast. But the other thing that still just doesn't get the attention it deserves is how poor our third down play calling is and how much our lack of ability to convert on third downs hurts this team. Um, 
sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm jumping and flailing my arms and pointing at a burning building and no one will look at it. But I've been saying this now for two years. Go, go listen to our podcast. Go listen to our Hokey previews from two years ago, last All year. three episodes. All it has not changed. Third down play calling is a problem, and I don't care what the reasoning is. I've seen it speculated. Oh, well, you know, it's just because we create too many third and longs. Great. That's part of the problem. Throw it on top of the pile. Play calling has been poor on third downs. We've not been able to have extended drives, and we go through phases of the game where it feels like we get two to three, back to back to back, three and outs, in times where we just need to control the ball. And, you know, I'm, I'm tired of people pointing at, at offensive scoring numbers as if they tell the entire story of how effective play calling is. And all of these things, we've got to start paying attention to getting drives that are long, and when we need them, and it seems like when we need these drives and we need to take, you know, whether it be to take a little air out of the ball, to give a, a tired defense a rest, which we're the worst at, we just can't come up with those third down conversions. So I am hopeful um, that that's going to be addressed and that we'll improve in that area. Um, but that's one of those things along with that offensive identity that just have to get fixed. You're not going to play winning football, at least to the standard of Virginia Tech, unless you clean up the third downs. I felt like you were getting a little angry there, Tim. I felt oh, I'm not. I'm I not felt happy. like you had not, the, not a the tone angry. of the the Liberty post game. Oh, jeez. Yeah, hopefully, we never go back to those dark days. <laughs> I, I know we will. I, I know we will. We'll be there this year. I guarantee it. But I just I get frustrated with the inability to be consistent at anything. I just yeah. want some sort of consistency at something positive. And until we find that consistent, whether it be identity, the consistent success that we need on third downs, the consistent winning and beating teams that we should beat, I'll take any damn kind of consistency I can get. But this is just a microcosm of the inconsistency that we can, are continually plagued with and is, is for whatever reason excused and swept under the rug, uh, you know, in, in large part. And this is the season where we have to see these wrinkles cleaned up. We can't be talking about offensive identity next year. We can't be talking about failures on third down next year because we're repeating ourselves too much. And it's insanity to go out and have, you know, do the same thing and expect different results. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to see a different approach this year. Me too. I agree. If we look at the defense real quick some questions there about depth that we highlighted in the uh, positional previews uh emmanuel belmar an update from one of those episodes he has medically retired uh was having an issue with concussions so um you know he is uh stepping away from the program so a thin defensive line group gets thinner uh, I think one of the positives is all arrows are pointing up for Tawan Garbett to come in and be ready to go at a high level, um, kind of back to what we saw in 2019. So I think it's likely that we see Garbett alongside uh, Amari Barno, who probably is going to be a Heisman candidate uh, for the defensive side of the ball. And then if we look at Dax, uh, you know, he's primed and ready to go. He's going to hold down that mic. Alan Tisdale is going to be in the position beside him at linebacker. Uh, but, Besides those two, there are some depth concerns. It feels like there's some momentum uh, with Kashin Artist and um, 
Dean Ferguson at the linebacking core, which is positive to hear, but you never know if it's coach speak this time of year or not. Uh, and the secondary should be solid. So, I mean, Jermaine Waller is back. He's locked down the top corner position. There's a competition uh, for the number two spot. Most likely it'll probably be Dorian Strong. Um, Dorian, yeah, Dorian Strong. I get him and Dorian Ford yeah. mixed up all the time. Yeah, I'm always no, that's right. Myself. And then, um, you know, it's safety. It's most likely going to be Devin Hunter um, and uh, Keonta Jenkins. So, Interesting group for defense. I mean, we talked about the fighter's chance quote from Justin Hamilton. Um, so we don't really know what to expect there. But, I mean, on paper, to be honest, from a starting group standpoint, I like this group more than I like the Miami group. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's 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 fine. I think Miami may actually be a deeper unit as far as, you know, talent goes um, when you're looking down the depth chart. Uh, you know, obviously we went through the depth issues a lot, so I won't do that. But, you know, depth remains a huge, huge, huge concern for me. And if we if we fail this year in defense, chances are it's, it's due to the lack of depth. Uh, I will say, as angry as I was about the offense, you know, I, I'm not going to be too harsh on J-Ham's first year. I think that was a that was a tough one going in and wanting to change some things about the scheme and dealing with all of the COVID issues that Virginia Tech had. And, and Lord knows we weren't the only program with them, but we were certainly hit hard. I won't judge the defense too much, although I will say, you know, for the bulk of the season, the defense a lot of times looked lost. And I just, I hope we're not going to run into a scenario where we still see that kind of um, confusion on that side of the ball. There were a lot of elementary things that need to be cleaned up, and I'm, I'm totally confident they will be. I think having a normal offseason will go a long, long way for this defense. Normal offseason should be more of a normal regular season. I mean, there was a number of times where, you know, we were down to fourth, fifth, sixth guys on the depth chart on the defensive side of the ball because of COVID. So um, I think that certainly added to the mix. Not that it's an excuse, but um, I like you said, don't expect to see that this year. If we look at the schedule, out of conference, we've got uh, Middle Tennessee for the Hokies, Richmond, Notre Dame at home, and West Virginia away. So there's definitely two wins in there. I don't think West Virginia is that good. Um, that, that is most certainly a winnable foot game, and Notre Dame's a winnable foot game, football game. Notre Dame is not uh, the power that they were. Uh, we talk about them in the Atlantic preview. Uh, they are certainly beatable. They have a pretty mundane offense. Um, so we'll kind of see what happens there. Home conference games, you got North Carolina to open the season, obviously, and then you got Pitt, Syracuse, Duke. So relatively uh, manageable slate at home. UNC and Pitt are always tough. And then away, you've got Georgia Tech, BC, Miami, and UVA. So pretty uh, coastally, you know, typical kind of conference slate. Um, you know, they get the easy matchup with the Atlantic with Syracuse, and I say easy, and I mean easy. That should be an easy win. The over-under, Tim, is 7.5. So, again, Vegas just kind of nailing these lines. I think when I look at the schedule, four of the last five are on the road. And that includes Miami and UVA in back-to-back weeks to close out the regular season. There's only one road game between the start of the year, which is September 3rd, and October 30th, which is uh, their first road game with Georgia Tech. 
So that's a little unfortunate. Uh, that's not how I typically like to see uh, schedules constructed because uh, I think any team that's got to go on the road four out of five times, you're going to be at a disadvantage, especially towards the latter part of that. So I don't love that, um, but I'm going to say the Hokies overperform my expectations this year. They get eight wins, and they give themselves a shot at the Coastal, although I think eight wins will be difficult uh, to win the Coastal with eight wins overall. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take my homer glasses off here and just – Look at the entire body of work since Fuente has been here. Knowing the line is at seven and a half, knowing that a Fuente coach football team is drawn in to the glowing orb of mediocrity like a moth to a flame and go with seven wins because that just feels like where we're going to be. Yeah. Definitely could. And I, I think when I, when I look at this team on paper, I say eight wins because I expect this team to have eight wins. If we think about Fuente or not, I think that's kind of where we're at is this team is an easy eight-win football team in my opinion. They've got enough talent on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. It's just a matter of if it comes together and you know we'll, we'll see how the season kind of flows. I mean, there could be things that happen one way or the other against them or for them. You never know. But... um. We'll see. But that's seven, eight wins. I mean, it's tough, right? So, I right. mean, well, it's, uh, it's going to put Virginia Tech in the same kind of, like, where do we go from here type of conversation if it's I, I less hope, than eight. I hope I'm wrong. But I would be more surprised to see eight wins than I would be to see six. Let's just say that. Um, that that's kind of where I'm at on this one. And I'm, I'm trying to push out the negativity. Uh, but I think I'm just a broken man at this point. And until I see it, I'm going to expect what history dictates. And to me, that's so, six to seven. Yeah. I mean, that's that's fair, right? But if I look at Virginia Tech's schedule, Middle Tennessee, Richmond, Syracuse, Duke, Georgia Tech. Liberty. Old Dominion. Well, I, I, no, no, no. I'm talking to, I'm not even, I'm not worried about last year. And again, I'm saying for where Virginia Tech is at with the expectations that have been, I guess, communicated to the coaching staff, if that's what the December press conference was. I, I sure hope they were. There's, there's five games that are non-losable for the coaching staff. Yes, they I would agree. They cannot lose any of those games. And if they do, I think that is going to – be part of what this team is judged on or the staff is judged on, I should say, at the end of the season. So those five games, this staff absolutely has to win. And then the rest of the schedule is really kind of a toss-up. And that's kind of how I've looked at the schedule this year. And I think if you look at the rest of the schedule, there's not not an unwinnable game on the schedule. And I I hear you, right? No, definitely not. we've, We've hit the the history button on the the Fuente era. But that's how I'm approaching it. If I was an AD, that's how I would be looking at it. If here you go. Here you go, Justin. We're going to give you one more shot. You've got 5 games on your schedule that you can't lose. Right. You need to go find 3 wins. 
at least somewhere else and then let's have a conversation and i think that's kind of where we're at so that's how i'm approaching it i'm going to take a positive view i'm I'm not expecting that to fully play out like i have in my mind but that's my expectation as a fan yeah that's all i'm saying i understand look it's hard to fight uh the abounding optimism when that september fog comes rolling in and you're geared up for football and all of a sudden you know all the pains of yesteryear seem to wash away we're talking about optimism with i let me mention the games again middle tennessee richmond syracuse and duke all at home yeah and georgia tech on the road i would never put optimism with where any of those five programs are at today talking about a virginia tech program in a normal year yeah. and to me virginia tech granted again i understand what's happened but the expectation that we should have as a fan base is that none of those games are acceptable losses and that's how i'm approaching it i, I, I don't even I look at it from an optimistic standpoint these are must-win games there 100%. are five games that virginia tech has at a minimum as a win on their schedule and it's the rest of the schedule is where they can basically build a successful season or not right right that's all i'm saying i look i, I agree with you 100 percent. i just i can't chalk them up as wins just because i expect them to be one um and and that's where my expectations are i'm i'm looking at it from a where we've been as you know and it just it hasn't been pretty so i, I hope i'm wrong so which which of those games do you think they lose i'm not saying they lose any of those games I'm just saying combined, I expect them to get to six to seven wins. That's just where I expect the Hokies to be. Okay. I'm not I'm not getting granular, although I could see Duke beating us. I can't. Well, I it mean, happened I can, once. but I can't. It happened two years ago. Oh, no, I'm aware. I'm so, aware. I mean, that like was, until... That was an ugly one. It, look, until but the I'm, games I'm just that saying, I can't, pit I can't last year, I mean, it's just... Right now. It, it's, stuff is not... Uh, we, we've dealt with the quote-unquote unacceptable losses when you hold our losses up to expectations. And I can't continue to pick hokey results based on where I expect them to be because it's clear my expectations are now out of line with the state of the program. And that's why I said I just I need to see it. And once I see it, I, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But the benefit of the doubt has left the building. Um until the results are obtained. God. Syracuse, Duke, and Georgia Tech losses. Tim is calling it right here. <laughs> See, if Let's we move on to Pitt. if we lose to Syracuse, I mean, if we're, yeah. I'm canceling the podcast. We're not talking about this anymore because <laughs> my blood pressure can't handle it. No, I mean, you said it. So you're going to have to live <laughs> with the outcome of that. Sure, sure. Pitt, Pitt, Pitt. Always an interesting understudy. Uh, Pat Nartuzzi, the guy that we love to hate, uh, he just makes it so easy. I, I love him for that. Pitt's offense under Mark Whipple last season, pretty horrific, if we're being honest with ourselves. They've gone pass heavy under Whipple, and it just hasn't worked out. They're only nope. uh, averaging about 379 yards per game. That's third worst in the ACC. If we think about Pitt's offense, we're not too far removed from Darren Hall and Quadriola. And Tim, I don't. Do you remember that game against Virginia Tech? I will not remember speak what of happened? it. Well, last year they ranked 111th in the FBS in rushing. Ooh, 
That's not good. Not if you're Pitt. They were 98th in third down conversions and 90th in red zone touchdown rate. Mm. Mark Whipple still has his job. <laughs> Kenny Pickett, he's back for his 15th year quarterback. Oh, yay. Many thought he'd go pro. He opted to come back. He's got 36 starts in his career. Wait, excuse me? Run that back? Many Which thought one? he would do what? Oh, I mean, have you not paid attention? Kenny Pickett had a second to third round grade. I'm not believe I'm not believing your alternate version of of reality. I just it may be the case, oh, but I refuse yeah. to believe it. No, yeah, no, I know. People see him as a good pro style quarterback, which I agree. But uh, they also saw Nathan Peterman as that. And I don't know if you remember the Nathan Peterman era, but my favorite part was when Buffalo decided to bench Terod Taylor for Nathan Peterman, and Peterman threw five interceptions and one half of football. And I remember that karma is a B word, as they say. And Terod Taylor had previously led that team to the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) No bad blood there. Anyway, Pickett has 36 starts in his career. He's the leader in the offense. He's made strides. He has. He's he's better than he was to start, which most guys are from their freshman year. Not everybody's Sam Howell, right? Not everybody's Trevor Lawrence. No. But he's just okay for me. You know, I've never felt that he's an upper echelon ACC quarterback, and that's not a slight on him. I mean, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the ACC. I don't think, you know, on the national landscape we talk about that enough, but there, there's a lot of really good quarterbacks in the ACC. Um, so we'll see kind of what Pickett does. I mean, the thing is, like, it's not his fault that they're throwing the ball 60 times a game. It's, you know, it's just uh, what happens in a Mark Whipple offense. At running back, you've got Vincent Davis, uh, Israel Abenkanda. Nominate him for the ACC All-Names team. Uh, Abenkanda is a guy who he's been getting a ton of hype. Named the most improved player in the spring, so look for him to be kind of near the top of that depth chart. Vincent Davis has been there. hasn't really done a whole lot. Uh, so that, that position is primed to be taken over by somebody else. Uh, you've got a really good receiver room. You've got Jordan Addison. He finished second in the ACC Rookie of the Year vote. Led the team in receptions, yards, touchdowns. They've also got to Sear Mack, Trey Tipton, Shockey Jock Louis. Yes. Great, great name. Shock Love Jock. That name. Uh, so I think deep group for, uh, for this receiving core. They basically don't need a tight end. They don't ever utilize that position. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. You know, I think Pitt's going to be able to move the ball. Um there's no doubt. Now, how efficiently they're able to do that, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, if you look at some of their games, they'll blow up. If you look at other games, the offense disappears. So it's just one of those units where I think it'll be average at best, um, and we'll we'll see how far that can take them. Yeah. Um, Kenny Pickett feels like he was Dan Marino's understudy, and he's been starting for 10 years. 2,400 yards, 13 touchdowns, 9 so picks last Kenny year. you just Kenny Pickett to Dan Marino? No, I was saying he was on the same team okay. as Dan Marino. Okay, um, okay. Dan Marino played at Pitt. And, oh, I'm aware. <laughs> I was just, and you're telling me a second to third round grade on a guy that passed for 2,400, 13 touchdowns, 9 picks as a pro-style quarterback? I just, I believe you, but I don't believe you, if that makes sense. Now, 
the offense, I agree. Kenny's made strides. I, I remember early on in Chase Daniel still career, plays the NFL when I was a young man so many years ago thinking he didn't have any shot or any chance at being an eight-year starter. But here we are in his ninth year, and he's still flicking the ball, and he's made improvements. I mean, he really has. Kenny Pickett is a guy that shows flashes. I mean, you do see there's a good quarterback in there, but it's hard to say how much Kenny Pickett is held back by Pitt's offense or how much Kenny Pickett is holding them back himself because he's not particularly safe with the ball. He makes terribly bad reads at times, throwing into coverage, but then he has games where he seems to put it all together for four quarters and be the only reason that the pit offense is is floating above water. So I expect him to continue to improve because I think we can at least say that he's improved every year. At least it seems that way. I'm not breaking down stats year by year, but every time I see, I've seen him over the years, it does seem that he improves each year. Um, I like Jordan Addison a lot. Uh, they've got a lot of receivers outside of Jordan returning. I think there's a chance that they can turn this thing around on offense. Um, Vincent Davis is going to have to do a lot of work in that backfield because, like you said, last year they just weren't good. Uh, but you know, I, I think it's just an identity thing where they leaned heavy into the pass and maybe they're just a program that is meant to be really good running the ball and you know that's not necessarily a bad thing it's worked out for them uh they do have that identity and in order to be a decent pit team they're going to have to figure out how to turn that around so we're going to have to see whether or not davis and davis in this case aj davis vincent davis can turn it around in that backfield and make them a force to be reckoned with um, but you do know at least what you're going to get out of Kenny Pickett. I guess that's the one good thing you can say. Defense. Uh, defense has kind of been the rock of this team. You know, led the country in sacks the last two years. Uh, they do lose quite a bit uh, defensively, at least from a roster standpoint. You know, you look at a guy like Jalen Twyman. He didn't play last year. Uh, he's now in the NFL. He was really good uh, in 19. Uh, Patrick Jones, Rashad Weaver, all those guys are gone, right? But you still look at their defensive line group, and they're still pretty much loaded. They do return uh, Day Alexander, who uh, did start every game for them last year, had ten and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks. Um, in uh, in twenty nineteen, he didn't play for them last year. Um, but still very experienced. I mean, I think if you look at Pitt, they're going to get after the quarterback. Um, you know, I, I think the big question mark for them is that linebacker where uh, they lost their three kind of highest producing linebackers in Phil Campbell, Cam Bright, and Chase Pine. Um, and then their secondary to me is the biggest concern because they've got DeMar Hamlin, Paris Ford, Jason Pinnock, who are all gone. And Paris Ford was obviously kind of a, uh, you know, energetic leader back there, but... You know, Pitts typically, uh, they, they recruit fairly well on the defensive side of the ball. I suspect that this group will be strong. It should keep them in games. I, I can't imagine that, you know, they're going to give up, like, a substantial amount of points. Um, but if you can move the ball against Pitt and you can figure out how to slow down their offense, which, again, it's not a high-powered offense, you should be able to beat Pitt. 
And that's why Pitt is such a hard team to pinpoint because one week they can look really good and another week they can look really bad. And that's why they typically finish about four and four in the coastal. And they are, to me, the definition of coastal chaos. Absolutely. And and this defense, as you mentioned, lost a lot of NFL talent. Um, Pinnock especially was a guy I thought was really, really good. Um, there's a lot of talent still on that defense. And Pitt is one of those teams where you feel like they could just go to Permonte brothers and pull three people out of line and have them be all conference defensive players, because that's kind of what they do. Uh, you know, but the line get back in core, especially I love, um, you know, you mentioned Chase Pine, who's huge, uh, but they just got a bunch of good guys in Cam Bryant, uh, or Cam Bright, Dennis and Phil Campbell, uh, you know, could be all conference players, all of them, but it's one of those things where they do have to replace a lot. And combined with that offense gives me a little bit of concern for their outlook on the year because what was a an elite defense as far as talent goes um, now may fall down to a good or a very good defense. And how much does that drop affect their overall record, um, you know, given that you can only count on the offense so much? Yeah, and I think their linebackers, I think I said they weren't returning. What I meant to say is, they are returning. Yeah, they are returning, right. And if you look at what they did last season, 142 tackles, yep, 20 tackles for a loss, and 10 and a half sacks, just out of that one group alone. Beastly. So that's obviously the strength of the D. It's just going to be a very difficult front seven. It's going to be a difficult team to run the ball against. So, again, it's going to give them a shot in most of the games that they're playing. Uh, I think if we look at their schedule out of conference-wise, you've got UMass, you've got Western Michigan, New Hampshire, and uh, the old Vols away. So obviously UMass is going to be a loss. Uh, that team is a juggernaut, as we all uh, <laughs> as we all know. I can't even say it without laughing. Uh, so I think they probably go 4-0. I think they're better than Tennessee. Um, yeah, Tennessee's so bad. If we look at away conference-wise, you got Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Duke, Syracuse. That's pretty manageable. I mean, they should really go 3-1 and one at worst in that stretch. And then if we look at home, you've got Clemson, Miami, UNC, UVA. Um, so definitely a tougher slate at home. You know, I think they could easily go 1-3 and three at home um, and not blink an eye. So going to be interesting for Pitt. I mean, if you look at their over-under, it's seven. Um, I don't know. I mean, because I, I have them going 4-0 and out of conference. I've got them going 3-1 and away in conference play. So that's seven wins right there. Um, I'm sure that won't happen because <laughs> Pitt is very similar to Virginia Tech um, in a lot of ways to where they'll just lay an egg uh, against like Syracuse or something. Um, so I'd probably not bet against them to have much more than seven wins or much less than seven wins. They're going to be in that six, seven win range. I feel like, yeah, um, it's definitely the right range. Bad offense, good defense is neutral. They cancel each other out. So I'm going to go with six and six. So I'm going to take the under that's, that's, that's fair. That's science. And you can't argue with that. Yeah, Pitt's one of these teams where they're going to get off to a hot start. They may find themselves in like the top 25 after starting 5-0 and because they're going to run through their out-of-conference. They'll win a conference game to start, and then they may lose like five out of their last six. That sounds like a Pitt season, right? That sounds very Pitt. That is, that's, 
that, I mean, that's on point for Pitt. On Let's brand. jump over to UVA. Do we have UVA to? is the defending coastal champion, Tim, if we're being technical here. Nope. There was no coastal champ in 2020. They went 5-5 five and five last year, 4-5 and five in the ACC. Uh, they started 1-4 last year, but rebounded nicely. Had four wins in a row, and then, of course, got spanked by the Hokies, as they typically do. Um, you know, outside of one year in the last, God, what, 16? I, I, I can't even keep track of how long it's been now. I just I get it confused in my head. Britton Armstrong, at quarterback, had an up-and-down year. But UVA put up its second consecutive 30-point-per-game season on offense. First time that's happened since 1968. Armstrong had a year. He finished 2,100 yards, 18 touchdowns, 11 picks. He was the team's leading rusher with 552 on the ground. The big concern with him was, you know, his health. Uh, He was inconsistent at times. But for me, he was a guy who uh, I thought played much better uh, towards the latter part of the year. Uh, he he makes some throws where you're like, wow, okay, you know, this dude can can sling it, and then he makes some plays where you're like, okay, I'm not sure he's a FBS quarterback. Um, and then if you look behind him, you've got a guy like you know Kitan Thompson who isn't really a quarterback. He's more of your kind of wildcat type guy, an athlete back there who takes snaps from under center. He's not going to beat you with his arm, uh, but he is going to help out in the running game. Which the running game for UVA. It's been pretty bad outside of quarterback play. If we think back to the Bryce Perkins era, if we think to Brendan Armstrong, like those guys can move the ball on the ground. I mentioned Thompson. You know, Wayne Tua-Lapapa, kind of a short yardage guy. Mike Collins, Ronnie Walker Jr., those two are now kind of in the mix. I think Collins is the guy who could have the best shot of getting the lead back work. Um, He was highly touted. he was a highly touted recruit coming into the 19 and 19 season. He opted not to play last year, so we'll see what happens there. At receiver, a pretty big loss with Larvell Davis. He tore his ACL uh, in the spring. He's the six foot seven guy that you know we reference his height every time we see him on television. And then uh, Dante- Dontavian Wicks, Billy Kemp, Rushon Henry. Uh, those are probably going to be the top three options at receiver for the Who. So. Uh, it should still be a fairly sh- solid core of receivers. Uh, they've also got a, another 6'7 player, a transfer from Oklahoma State, Jelani Woods, who should be in the mix there at tight end. They're also bringing back six offensive linemen, 122 combined starts for that group. So fairly experienced. Uh, some questions once you get past that six. But I think it's going to be more in the same for UVA offensively, Tim. It should be a solid group. There's going to be questions about whether they can run the ball. Um, and if they can neutralize the quarterback position, you know, it's going to be really difficult for them to win consistently, um, especially on the road where they have struggled mightily over the last couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, I, I'm kind of with you. I think solid is the great way uh, to describe this offense. I don't think they're going to be a very exciting offense. I don't think they're going to be stat sheet stuffers. I do think they're going to do enough to get the job done. Um, you know, I I wouldn't describe what you see on their roster as a sexy offense by any stretch of the means, but they're going to do what they need to do to win football games. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. You know, the running back picture was not a pretty, pretty picture at times. Um, and I'm not so sure I see that changing a whole lot. Um, even with the addition of Ronnie Walker jr. Um, you know, you mentioned Mike Collins. Uh, I just, I, I don't see 
the game changers on that offense. I think that's what holds them back is the lack of really, you know, we, we talked about the lack of dynamism uh, last year, and I think that's going to continue to plague them. Um, I do think Brennan Armstrong is a baller. Uh, that's a tough kid, um, really good with his feet, makes plays downfield. He's got an uh, Eric Dungy element about him. Yeah, dude, that's a great call. He's very Eric Dungy now that you mention it. Wow, yeah. hats off to you. I'm not. I'm not wearing a hat. If I had a hat, I'd take it off to you. Um, yeah. Good call. Uh, very Dungy esque in the way that he plays the game and, and kind of the guy he is. Uh, and I do think he is the bright spot of their offense. Um, but there's just not a lot of of you know real big play guys, guys that are going to really change the game uh, per se. But they're gonna do. They're gonna do the job. There's no doubt. They're gonna do enough to win football games. Eric Dungy, by the way, just got cut by the Bengals. Probably horrific decision on their part. Somebody needs to yeah. pick him up. No, that's um, that's that's poor uh, front office work from them. I'm sure. I'm sure Dino's trying to figure out how he can get Eric Dungy back on campus. Um, well, I mean, Kenny Pickett's in his eighth year, so I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> if we look at the defense for UVA. Uh, <sighs> going to be an interesting group uh the secondary has been shaky uh they've lost a lot of linebackers which is kind of the strength of their defense to to graduation nfl etc uh they lost their highest rated recruits in the mendenhall era in the offseason to the transfer portal uh, iwan biggs he's now at cincinnati otherwise defensive line should be fairly solid you got mandy alonzo and adib atiarwa who both played Fairly well last season. Yeah. Uh, you've also got Aaron uh, Fawamui, who is back after he opted out, um, but he had four sacks in 19. So defensive line, I think they'll be okay. Uh, the leader of the defense, Charles Snowden, he's gone. Zane Zandier, Matt Gom, Rob Snyder. You know, those are some big names on this defense that aren't there anymore. Uh, at linebacker, it's really not dissimilar to the Hokies to where you've got two guys who you've got locked in at starters with uh, Nick Jackson and Noah Taylor. But after that, it's just kind of a huge question mark as to who's going to step in. And then the secondary, you know, you're coming off a year where the secondary ranked 123 out of 127 FBS teams in passing yards allowed per game. So they gave up over 300 yards a game. 29 passing plays of 30 or more yards, averaged 9.4 yards per attempt against this team. And they're returning most of the secondary. This goes back to my favorite stat about returning production. It's just, it can just be it can be a good stat if you want to make it a good stat, but it can be completely meaningless. I think it's pretty meaningless in this case. Um, obviously, you know, there's some development that can happen with guys returning, getting some more game action, but to take a jump from like 123, I mean, if they jump to 95, it would be a huge improvement. So, um, I think there's going to be some concerns there with the secondary. You've got, uh, Joey Blunt and, uh, Devontae Cross who are there starting safeties. I think Blunt's a nice option. He has had an injury history. Um, they did bring in a couple of guys from the transfer portal, uh, Anthony Johnson, Johnson, Josh Hayes. Um, they're going to be competing at corner with uh, Nick Grant and Darius Braddon. So there's there's going to be some uh, interesting things to figure out there for UVA. Um, you know, I mentioned, hey, you get UNC early on. Well, I, this team does not match up well against North Carolina or any team that can really kind of attack you through the air. So... Uh, a lot of things to figure out for Virginia, and you know, defensively, Tim, it's it's not a uh, super strong group here. No, I mean, and you talk about loss. 
in the 3-4 defense, the scheme that they run, the playmaking on your defense when it comes to disrupting the pass and pass rush comes from your outside linebackers. I thought Charles Snowden was just incredible for them at times, and that scheme really suited him so well to come off that edge and wreak havoc on opposing quarterbacks. That lack of pass rush is going to be a problem this year based on what I'm seeing. And then the heart and soul of their defense was Zane Zandier, and he's gone. He also wore a neck brace, which I don't know how you feel about linebackers with neck braces, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that is, you immediately become all conference in my mind, regardless of play. If you're a linebacker and you're not neck rolling it up, like, why do you even play football? Why do you play linebacker? I mean, look, here's the thing. If God had gifted me with athletic ability and size to play middle linebacker at an ACC level, I would have the most obnoxious neck brace slash neck roll situation. I would literally go and ask the athletic department to find me the latest in neck protection tech. And I would only wear it if it was extremely visible because I will tell you. And then you'd that, have to go like full Mark Herslick eye black just yeah. across your entire body. Well, you would. You'd have to just black out your you know, your cheeks and do designs. Yeah. and Yeah, but that was Zane Zandier. Those guys, those neck brace guys are the heart and soul of your team. Can't tell me any different. So replacing Snowden, Zandier is going to be tough. I'm just not seeing the amount of players on the defensive side that really make me feel like they're going to be able to make up for those losses, especially with as important as linebackers are in that scheme. And I think that is going to uh, hold them back this year. While the offense is good enough as a unit to get the job done, I think a lot of that offense feeds off of a good defense, and I'm not sure that we're going to be able to see anywhere remotely close to a good defense uh, based on what I'm anticipating. If we look at their schedule out of conference wise, they've got William and Mary, Illinois, and Notre Dame at home. And they go on the road. Interesting October road matchup against BYU. Obviously where uh Mr. Bronco came from. So um I think two and two would be successful there. Uh I think they probably lose the road game to BYU just because they don't play well on the road for whatever reason. Um, Notre Dame, they're not going to win. Illinois is kind of a toss-up game, so uh, William & Mary, I'd imagine they, they take that one. Wake, Duke, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech is the home slate uh, for conference play. So not a bad draw there. I mean, 2-2, two and two, I'd say, would be the bet. Um, and then away, you've got UNC, Miami, Louisville, and Pitt. So... It's going to be a similar situation. UVA, to me, is in a similar situation for Pitt, where I don't think either either of those teams have a shot at the Coastal. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, there's two teams that have about combined a 98% chance to win the Coastal. And then Virginia Tech, Pitt, and UVA are in this group of like a 2% chance combined. Um, but it's who in that group can cause the most chaos to go to our coastal chaos theme and you know i think if uva can knock off like a miami and or uh a pick can knock off a north carolina unexpectedly and give one of those other teams a shot to kind of slip in there i think that's what we look for in the coastal but the over under tim for uva is six and a half you know i've got the under i think they're probably a six win football team um at best and wouldn't be surprised if they were on the lower and maybe a five and six record this season. But 
Um, that's kind of where I'm at with UVA. I just defensively, I don't think they're good enough. I think offensively, they're good enough that they're gonna win some football games, but defensively, I just don't, I just don't see it there for them. Yeah, in a, in a start in a startling role, or, or I guess reversal of roles, the Broncos gonna get bucked against BYU, and you know I, I think that that theme will happen quite a few times next year uh, or this year, I guess you could say for UVA. Uh, you know, you see a potential six win to five win football team. That's where I am on them. I expect a five win uh, season from UVA. I'm just not seeing a winning football team on paper, but I will say that's not a reflection of Bronco as a coach. I think he's done a great job at UVA. Um, as much as it pains me to say, it's just one of those things where, you know, the losses and injuries have kind of stacked up for them and what they've lost doesn't look like it's going to be replaced this year. So, um, yeah, the five and seven is about where I expect them. You think Bronco drives a Bronco now that they're back? If back he doesn't, back? he needs to. Um, yeah. the Bronco is one of the all time best cars, uh, you could ever own. So I would hope at that salary, he's got a Bronco at least as a, you know, a garage car, but I would hope as a daily driver, just to stay on brand. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's jump over to the bottom two here, Georgia Tech and uh, Duke. So we'll run through these two quick. I don't really feel like talking about them a whole lot. Georgia Tech, Jeff Collins Company, year three of the rebuild. If you go and look at Georgia Tech's schedule, which we will in a second, I mean, they're just going to get shelled this year. I mean, brutal schedule. Um, still a long way to go for this football team. When you're moved from the trip option to a traditional offense, it's going to take time, specifically that offensive line. But they do have some interesting pieces on offense. You've got Jeff Sims, who, young quarterback, to me, he could really go either way at this point. You know, he he made a lot of mistakes last year. He only had about a 55% completion percentage. He had as many interceptions as touchdowns. He made some really bad decisions. Um, but doesn't have a tremendous supporting cast. I think the the most dynamic player on this offense and really one of the more dynamic players in the conference and maybe the country is Jameer Gibbs. And he looks like a absolute stud potential first rounder, in my opinion. Um, you know, he's a guy at the running back position to where, you know, he's probably going to take on this AJ Dillon type of workload to where they're going to try to get the ball in his hands as much as possible. He averaged 5.2 yards per carry last season, did miss some time with the hamstring injury. But I'd imagine he's going to get the ball 25 times a game or more, uh, whether that be through the air or just on a handoff. So, you know, I think um, the the challenge is, you know, if teams are able to kind of neutralize Gibbs and tone or you know zone in on him, is Jeff Sims a guy who can kind of catch you off guard and beat you? And you know, he probably can, uh, but I, I feel like it's going to be a pretty bad performance by you know for them to to beat uh, a solid football team this year. Uh, defensively, you know, the defensive line was a challenge last year. Team couldn't stop the run. They brought in a couple of grad transfers, as a program like Georgia Tech would have to do at this point. They've got some new faces at linebackers. You know, they had some underperformers from last season. Um, they do bring back five starters in the secondary, but the group gave up 22 touchdowns through the year, which was 13th most in the FBS. So... There's just not a lot, a lot to love here about Georgia Tech, Tim. So, other than Swaggy Jeff, right, or Swaggy G, whatever he calls himself. Yeah, I mean, a guy that I think has, still has potential down there. Obviously, the culture was something that needed to be addressed. The 
scheme, you couldn't have a more, uh, I guess, different approach to winning football games now for them. And that, that takes years to fix and get right if you want to make that change. But I will say I'm a little higher on the Jackets than, than I think probably Vegas will have them, just because I love that running back room. Uh, Mason, people kind of forget that he was an all-ACC guy. Injuries held him back a bit. He's back. Jameer Gibbs is just a freaking game changer. Um, and I saw a lot of potential in Jeff Sims last year. So, you know, when you talk about UVA's offense, and my slight criticism there was the lack of playmakers. I think, you know, this team definitely has the playmakers to break games open, um, and they'll need to do a lot of that uh, given the defense. But I, I do like what I see, and I think they may have the deepest running back room in the ACC. They'd certainly be able to give NC State a run for their money in that regard. Schedule-wise, like I mentioned, very difficult. Uh, you know, if we look at out-of-conference schedule, that's their best chance to get two wins. They've got Northern Illinois, which is one of the worst programs in college football right now. Uh, you got Kennesaw State, which is an FCS level. And you got Georgia at home, loss. Notre Dame away, loss. So they're probably going to go two and two there. If you look at their conference map here home they've got north carolina Pitt, virginia tech boston college well they're not better than any of those teams but they could sneak a win in there and then away wise you've got clemson duke uva and miami so best case scenario for me tim with georgia tech this season is two acc wins best case and two and two in the out of conference the over-under on them is four and a half. I see a path to four wins. I see a more likely scenario of three wins for the old Yellow Jackets in year three of the rebuild for Jeff Collins, mostly just because of the slate that they were dealt. And I didn't know the line, but I thought I would be higher than Vegas, and I am. I think this is a five-win football team. Uh, of those you mentioned, I think they can pick up a win against a team like Boston College. Uh, to kind of Clearly, Virginia Tech, win. you think they're going to just wall up based <laughs> off your previous comments? No, I, I think Virginia Tech will win that game. Um, oh, but but I will say... Where are you getting I, five wins? So you can go like over two. their schedule again if you'd like. I can go game by game. But I was just doing it in my head while you were talking. So Northern Illinois, Kennesaw State, two yeah, wins obviously. there. Yep. Georgia, Notre Dame. Yep, no wins there. North Carolina. Nope. Pitt. Virginia Tech. Nope. Boston College. Yep. You think they're going to beat Boston College? Yep. Sure do. Wow. Clemson? Boston College's uh, front is not very good, Justin. And if there's one thing that's going to be a problem when you're dealing with uh, Georgia Tech is going to be stopping that running game. And I, I do think but Boston College will struggle you to have do to that. Stop. That's, my, that's my big issue with Georgia Tech is, you know, I think Jeff Sims can – can make plays but he's going to be more of a threat in the run game oh for sure they can definitely cause you issues but if you can figure out how to take that away especially Pitt, like i just don't see that as a good matchup for georgia tech at all just with the front seven that Pitt has maybe bc i don't know but um yeah i don't know we'll see that's why they play the games tim right right but i mean i think that got did that get us to five wins or are we at four well so you've got Pitt and BC, which yep. is crazy. And then I assume I assume Duke's the other one. Yeah, Duke was the other one. Yeah, so that would be five for you. Yep. Okay. Okay. 
Okay. Yep. I, I think you're. I think you're underselling Georgia Tech a little bit on the offensive side of the ball. And I think w- part of what I'm factoring in is I saw potential in Jeff Sims. I don't expect the Jeff Sims we saw last year that couldn't throw the ball. Um, you know, he was around 50% on his passes. Didn't have a 300-yard passing game. But uh, going from freshman to sophomore year with as much game time as he got, uh, I, there's there's a quarterback in Jeff Sims, and I, I do expect strides. Be. I do, but there's also strides. a horrific offensive line in front of him. That's true. That's true. But you know, the, the, Jeff Sims my is the kind of quarterback issue. that can that can make that work given his set of skills. Okay. Meaning his legs. We'll see. He'll need them. Last, but certainly, well, least Duke. <laughs> Duke. Don't don't have a ton to say about the old <laughs> no. Dukies, but this this feels like cut close last season, right? Probably he's coming off yep. a two and nine year. Duke looked awful last year. Couldn't hold on to the football. Chase Bryce, he's on to App State. Sounds like Gunnar Holmberg is going to be the quarterback uh, that's getting the nod. Which great name for a quarterback, by the way. Hasn't played a ton. You know, went eighteen for twenty five against UNC last season. Had two picks. He's an athletic guy. He ran a four point five one forty. So that's interesting. Uh, so that's going to bring another dimension to this offense. Uh, I think Mateo Durant's the guy I like best on this team. You know, he's a pretty uh, nice option there at running back. He's really the lone offensive bright spot that we know about right now for Duke. Um, I like Jake Bobo. You know, he's dealt with some injury issues at receiver. Jalen Calhoun, you know, is another nice option. But really not a ton of depth at the position. A lot of offensive line questions. They're replacing two starters from a group that gave up 3.3 sacks per game, 114 out of 127 FBS teams, and 7.5 almost tackles for a loss per game, which was 110th in the country last year. So not very good. Defensively, you know, the best part about Duke historically has been their defensive line, at least over the last few seasons, but they're basically all gone. So they're replacing everyone. At linebacker, they do return Shaka Hayward. They return a lot of their secondary, but... They ranked 83rd against the pass last season. So there's just not a whole lot to be positive about for Duke. I think, if anything, you know, they may surprise on offense if Holmberg can be kind of a, this athletic kind of option that, you know, may catch some teams off guard. And again, Mateo Durant, but similar to the Georgia Tech issue, is that offensive line is so bad. It's just, it's going to be hard for these young guys to play consistent football um, at, a, at a high level week in and week out. Right. No, I, I agree. It's, it's going to be a struggle. Um, you know, it just cut cliff for whatever reason, just doesn't feel like he's into it maybe as much as he used to be. And, and not to say he's mailing it in, but maybe the game's kind of beating him down a little bit. And some of that cut cliff genius that I think we've seen over the years, just that, that cut cliff magic just doesn't seem to be there as far as maximizing a lack of talent which is so extremely important at a program like Duke. And this year, I think, is going to be the worst case uh, that we've seen in quite a long time. Schedule-wise, they've got North Carolina A&T, Northwestern, Kansas at home, and Charlotte at a conference. They could get some wins there. Yeah. Home-wise, conference, they've got Georgia Tech, Pitt, Louisville, Miami. Yep. Maybe one. one win. Maybe. And then away, you've got 
that was that was a loss for them when I was previewing Georgia Tech, by the way. Away, they've got UNC, UVA, Wake, and Virginia Tech. So the over-under for them is three and a half. I've got them with a solid three for sure. I like them against Charlotte, North Carolina, A&T, and Kansas. Um, but I think they lose the rest of their games, most more more than likely. Yes, they could beat a Georgia Tech, and that could send them to the over, but that's really the only game on their slate that I would have any kind of confidence or any itch to maybe bet for them to win. Right. Right. I'm, I'm right there with you. This team screams the under to me. Um, but it, like I said, it's the ACC. You, you never know. I mean, this could be a four yeah. win hey. team. I mean, who knows? Just call some chaos. That's all we ask for. It's the coastal. Right. North that- Carolina. That's the beautiful thing about ACC football is all of these predictions we just made are not worth squat because... Especially in the Coastal. Expect the unexpected. That's no doubt. So, I mean, to, to close out here, Tim, who do you have winning the Coastal? What's your, what's your gut telling you? If, and this is a big if, but if Derek King is healthy, I do expect Miami to win the Coastal. Okay. So I guess you're going to go Miami, North Carolina... Correct. And then who behind that? Virginia Tech. Well, based off of your previous comments, that is a surprise to me. I've got. I, I'm going to hang my hat on North Carolina. Well, I don't think, don't uh, put too much oh, stock into it. I think it's because of the full blown mediocrity that I expect. For one and two, I expect to run away with the coastal. Um, as far as it, I expect it to be a full blown two horse race, and then I expect a four and four to be third essentially four Which and five would probably be like a three-way tie right it's going to be just a train wreck in the middle um yeah of a bunch of teams clumped up together and i yeah and i think no virginia tech will be third to see that yeah but it's i'm not expecting a third i expect an identical record to someone else that's technically in fourth if that makes right. sense right those kind of things i mean it just it feels like a log jam saw it play out right because of two media. teams feasting on much lesser uh, teams in the Coastal. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, as we sit here in August approaching the season, I feel like North Carolina is the best overall team, talent-wise, to have a shot at winning the Coastal. Miami's defense just turns me off, and I think it's going to make them vulnerable, although I, I do like Derek King. Uh, so they definitely have a shot. Um, but to me, it's a two-horse race. And then can one of those three that we mentioned, I think if there's there's really two teams that I would think if there was any shot of one of those two teams winning the Coastal would be Virginia Tech or Pitt. Um, but I think a lot of things would have to happen in their favor, whether it be injuries or, um, you know, COVID happenings or whatever that would kind of go their way. Or, I mean, hey, maybe the teams just pop out and surprise us and they uh, overperform expectations. You never know. But I think that's probably a safe bet. So, I mean, I think we both got probably Clemson and uh, in North Carolina in the ACC championship game. Um, hopefully it's like North Carolina State and Virginia Tech. That'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, something instead. different. But something new. Something yeah. 
something a little bit more shiny for for the rest of the schools in the conference to look at. But that's our show for today. Uh, so obviously we're uh, fast approaching the season, uh, nine days away, as I mentioned in the open. So next week we'll have the uh, North Carolina preview and then, uh, you know, a little bit more thought out expectations for the Hokies overall. So that'll be fun to talk about. We're going to do our uh, week one picks. Um, you know, anything else you want to mention here, Tim, before we close this one out? No, just everybody get ready for uh, week zero. Don't forget the Illinois-Nebraska matchup that we got the yep. Frost versus the Bielema, and we get to see how the Scott Frost era is either going to go down the tubes before it even kicks off or whether there's a glimmer of hope uh, for Frost to stick in that job with the Cornhuskers. And uh, I'm pretty excited to just see some Division I uh, FBS college football. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. So thanks for listening. Uh, you know, if this was your first time, we appreciate you stopping by. If you wouldn't mind hitting that five-star button, that would be awesome. Leave us a review. We'd love to read the comments, uh, share that feedback with everybody, and uh, spread the word. That's all we can ask. If you didn't like it, well, appreciate you uh, stopping by again, but you can just shoot us a DM with any kind of negative feedback. We don't need to see that playing out on the public spectrum, please. That's right. That's right. And, and again, as always, we appreciate you guys listening and uh, we look forward to interacting with you on the Twitter sphere and the Instagram, right? Because Justin, you're doing Instagram things now. Uh, yeah, we're which gramming. Is great. Yeah, we're, gra- we're, we're gramming. We're gra- gramming. We're gramming. We're on the gram. So just come hit us up on the gram. All right. See you guys later. <laughs>